Good morning, friends. We are here today. You made it. Whether you're here in person or you're online, you braved the cold. I'm looking more official than usual today because it was cold. So. <laughs> uh, you made it here. Um, and it's wonderful to be together. Um, I do know that something is happening this Sunday, and I have a brief poll I was going to do, and then I, real- I was going to move stuff around, but Pat, you got there before me. Um, so I'll just do the brief poll anyway. Um, how many of you know, uh, or you know what today is, how many of you um, have a team you're rooting for in today's game? Show of hands, or you can type in the chat box. The team you're rooting for, oh, that's why you're here. <laughs> I saw, I, I ran into Rico as I was coming in this morning, and Rico's like, go as long as you want today. <laughs> His favorite team is not playing. Uh, neither is our, our families. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, I don't even know who we'll be rooting for, but I'll, I'll ask the boys. I'll find out. Um, how many of you are just going to be watching show of hands or, um, or, or chats? For, you're, you're in it for like the, the food. I don't know. Um, <laughs> commercials. Yes. Or, or halftime show. Show of hands, anyone? Okay. I'm, I'm in it for the, I'm it for the food. Okay. And then um, how many of you just are just going to check it out? just because you're not sure what's happening or you want to see what's going on. Okay, a couple. Okay, so a couple of us can be watching it today. We'll be joining the millions and millions of Americans who are going to be tuning in for at least part of it. I I read this um, article this week that said back in 2022 Super Bowl, uh, 90% of Americans who own a television tuned in for at least part of it. That's a lot of people. Oh my goodness. So if you can picture with me, you know, uh, at at sports bars and on couches, um, in living rooms and sofas, in dormitories and on lazy boy chairs and floors and futons throughout the country, people who may not have a lot in common. Maybe uh, they're different um, ethnicities, different backgrounds, different religions. Um, Maybe they voted differently. They're going to be sitting by each other cheering, united by either their love or their dislike of the team. (laughs) People are going to be sitting together who don't normally sit together, aren't they? Families who might not have had a meal in a long time together are going to be sitting with each other watching this game. There's something about it and our celebration of it every year that's meaningful enough for at least millions of us to keep doing this year after year. So I figured since, you know, we're having this huge event happening in our country today, um, we could do something that uh, our brothers and sisters, our siblings in Christ around the whole world are doing today, and that is join in um, looking at the same passage of scripture that thousands of churches who use the lectionary, which is like a a guide that goes through all these different sections of scripture, uh, it has, you have a new one each year, and the hope is to get through all of scripture. Um, within a certain time period, number of years. So we're going to be preaching on the the text in the lectionary for today that thousands of churches, that millions of our siblings around the globe are going to be sitting side by side in our differences, in our different churches, but sitting and looking at the same text. Okay? So we are going to be looking at the lectionary, uh, the text in the lectionary, which is in 1 Corinthians. Now, in this season of Epiphany, which is almost over, um, We have been focusing on Wellspring's word of the year, and our word is open. What is our word? Open. Open. This is our word for the year. And so we've been looking at different scripture texts in this time of epiphany and asking ourselves, you know, how God wants us to be open in different ways to God and to each other. 
And so I invite you, as we get ready to go into the text, uh, to, to get in a posture of openness right now. Maybe if you're at home and you have some distractions around you and you want to get in a more comfortable space where you can focus a little bit more, or maybe you realize you've been holding some tension in your body from this week or even from entering a church building and you just want to sit more deeply into your seat and let that go. Let's just take some time to be in an open posture um, as we pray and get ready to go into our scripture verse for today. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would breathe your life into us, that you would speak through the words of this text and through my own frail human words so that your powerful, mending, and freeing life may be felt, seen, and known, that we may be who you've called us to be for our own sake and for the sake of the world you love. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to turn in your a Bible app or your Bibles to go to 1 Corinthians, um, just a little bit of context. Uh, Paul is a church planter and he is a church leader called an apostle. And um, he planted the church here in the city of Corinth. And he's currently away. He's, he's in the city of Ephesus. He's planting a whole other church there. Uh, and his friend Chloe lets him know that there's something was off in their community. They're having some problems. And the way that Paul likes to write his letters is always um, in the introduction, like right after he prays, he, he has the themes that are going to be in his book, uh, he states them right away. Like if there's a problem he needs to address it, he states it right away, right in the beginning of his um, letter. It's kind of like a little table of contents, although he doesn't use like page numbers because it's all written on a scroll. He just basically puts it all out there, here's the things I'm going to talk about, and then in any given order that he feels like, he'll address that over the course of his writing. So we're going to go ahead and look um, at the problem that he names right away in the beginning of his letter and then pick up for our text for the day where he talks about it in more detail. So the context where he names the problem is actually very, right off the bat, first chapter. He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. He was a very famous preacher at the time. Another, I follow Cephas. That's Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. So this is the problem. They're experiencing community disruption and disconnection. They're dividing up into smaller and smaller groups, all saying they're following different leaders. Their circles are getting smaller. It's impacting the health of their community, which Paul's really upset by. And that brings us into our text for today. 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to go verses 1 through 9. And I think it's printed out in your bulletins as well. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. We'll read through it together. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a lot going on in that passage, isn't there? 
I'm not sure if any of you felt a little bit defensive as I was reading this. I can imagine if, if Wellspring was taking a Bible class with Paul, let's say we're taking a study class and he was reading this letter, I think this would be the point in time where I'd want to raise my hand and be like, um, well, that's not us, Paul. <laughs> we're like a totally different church. Can we maybe like talk about another chapter or maybe like another, another book of the Bible maybe? Maybe a church we have more in common with? <laughs> I think I would want to maybe do some gentle pushback there. But... If we're to pause and just look at it for a minute, there actually are some similarities between the church of Corinth and um, the city, or, or between the city of Corinth. Let's talk about the city first. The city of Corinth and the city of Honolulu. Now, Corinth was a really diverse community. Racially, ethnically, there are a lot of different social backgrounds and cultures represented in the city. Kind of like here, Honolulu and our island of Oahu, it's home to many different kinds of people, right? With all kinds of ancestry and stories and connections to people groups and countries in different parts of the world. So there's some similarities there. The city of Corinth, it had two harbors. So there were a lot of people going in and out of it all the time. A lot of ideas. Um, a lot of, um, yeah, just a lot of people in and out. And here, um, we have our own harbors. We have a lot of people coming in and out of our airports, a lot of tourists, a lot of people who come to visit and then leave. Corinth's population included very poor and very well-to-do people. Just as we have the whole gamut of having houseless neighbors and multi-million dollar dwellings just all existing on the same patch of land. The church in Corinth, it was largely a Gentile, not a Jewish population, which meant their church was made up of people who um, came to Jesus as the first individuals in their family to do so. And many of you here and online are perhaps uh, the first, among the first people in your family to come to Jesus too, to become a disciple of Jesus. So these are some similarities between our different cities. And then there was the reason why Paul was writing this church in Corinth. See, they had this community problem. Right? They were disconnected. They were fractured. It was impacting their ability to grow and mature as people of faith. And as I was reading and studying this text this week, I, I just had to wonder. I thought, you know, if Paul knew us, if he knew us, Wellspring, as well as he knew the church in Corinth, if he was writing us a letter, maybe of things he saw that he wanted to thank God for or things he saw as concerning in our community, what would Paul say? What would he say? So I wrote out my own little letter. Don't worry, I won't read it. <laughs> it's a very poor draft. I need to have a scribe like Paul had one. <laughs> I think his letter, personally, I think it would start with some encouragement. I think he'd praise God, our savior and provider who has brought us through so many changes and ups and downs these last few years. I think maybe he would thank God for the way so many of you are sitting with your faith questions, with your disappointments. You're deconstructing and reconstructing, sifting through what's essential to your faith open to what God is doing in you in the world. Maybe Paul would, would name how, you saw, how he saw many of you working through deep personal loss while remaining open to God's work in you. Maybe Paul would encourage those of you who are at home for health reasons, maybe feeling isolated or discouraged. Maybe he'd encourage each of you, each of you who choose to show up in tangible ways even when you feel like you're not needed. Maybe Paul might encourage us this way. If he was writing the Church of Wellspring, um, like he was writing his other letters, after having some encouragement, he would move to some uh, challenging. Maybe he would, <laughs> this is where it gets uncomfortable. Ooh, what would Paul say? I don't know. Maybe he would urge those of us who developed unhealthy coping mechanisms during COVID, during the pandemic, to leave it behind, to start afresh, to start uh, coming to grips, 
with, with how we are and to maybe get some help, some support for ourselves. Maybe Paul would challenge us to keep building community when it's hard. We have groups of people who've never met each other, right? We have some, some of our ohana who is online, many for health reasons. We have um, many who are in the room. We have some, we, we don't know where we are. <laughs> and yet we know you're being held by our love, by God's love. Maybe he didn't challenge us to say, hey, connect with people in your community you haven't seen in a while. Maybe he would challenge us to create new friendships to kind of lean into the discomfort so we can grow as God's community. Maybe Paul would challenge those of you who feel like your life story is kind of written already. Maybe he challenged those of you to keep dreaming with God because your story is not over yet. Each of your stories matter to how God is building in the world. Maybe Paul would challenge us not to isolate because it's easy when we're tired and exhausted and a little depressed to isolate. Maybe he would ask us to be the answer to somebody else's prayer. Maybe he'd challenge us to reinvest in the gift of time and friendship. Then sometimes in Paul's letters, he'd move on to do some scolding. I don't think he'd do any scolding from Wellspring, so we'll just forget that part. <laughs> I wouldn't even go there. Now, Paul, what I love about him is he doesn't just leave the church in Corinth with sort of his assessment of what's gone sideways. He doesn't just say, okay, you're having problems, you're acting immature, you're not acting as if you're a people who are filled by God's spirit. Uh, he doesn't just tell them what's wrong with them, but instead he provides the healing balm they need to mend these wounds in their midst. He says, yeah, you've been isolating yourselves. You've been making your circles smaller and smaller. You're dividing up into teams. The good news is you don't have to pick sides. I'm not picking sides with Apollos and Peter. We're taking turns, planting and sowing, but everything that grows is from God. We're not picking sides or playing on opposite teams because we are not the Eagles or the Chiefs. And I checked with my husband, Dan, to make sure I got the two teams right who are playing today. We are not the Eagles and the Chiefs. We are on the same team. We are playing on the same field, which is God's field. We don't have to fracture and follow different people and get all clicky because we are all on the same side, the same team with God together. And this is a balm that can heal many different kinds of wounds, right? It can remedy many kinds of community hiccups, whether it's in you know, the first century AD world in the church of Corinth, or whether it's in the 21st century. And then there's something I just want to dwell on for a little bit. As Paul pours himself out, he delivers this nugget, this beautiful nugget, that's true for every church wherever they are, however they look, as Pastor Dan shared today, whether you're outdoors or in a building or in a huge warehouse, whether you're meeting in a school or a park. This is true for Wellspring too. So the very end of our text for today, he's talking about, yeah, we're, you know, Apollos and I, we're, we're coworkers in God's service. And then he says this about their church, true for our church too. You are God's field, God's building. You are God's field, God's building. If you wonder what kind of building, oh, but we won't skip that first. We'll go to the field quickly. Paul does not talk a lot about being God's field. He basically talked about it, about doing sowing and planting, and then he introduces this new picture, the building, and this is what he talks about for the rest of the book. He picks this theme up again and again. So you're God's field, right? We're all working it together. Uh, we take turns. We, we have different roles in the field. Um, God is calling us each to, to be on the same field, on the same side together. See, he talks about that briefly in our passage. And then he goes to this new picture, God's building. Now, the one he talks about all throughout the book. What kind of building? Oh, I'm so glad someone wanted to ask that. 
What kind of building? The very couple verses later, he tells us, a temple. You are not just any old building, you are a temple. Now we're going to put on our Bible study hats for just 30 seconds because I'm going to give you a quick Bible reminder. Today's quick Bible reminder. Quick Bible reminder. In the Old Testament, um, there was first the tabernacle, which was sort of like a temple on wheels that you could, um, a, a tent to. You could set up and take it down. And when the children of Israel were going, um, when they were freed from slavery and they were moving through the wilderness to their new home, this was like the precursor to the temple. This was the place where there was forgiveness, where there was freedom, where there was healing. This was a place of worship, of celebration, a place where God dwelt with them. So that was the tabernacle. And then we get to the temple. This temple was built. And it was a place where God would dwell. It's a place where people would come and be with God and meet with God. And all the same things, celebration, forgiveness, healing, all the teaching, all those things happened in the temple. So this is the first temple. Then God's people sort of went their own way and became very warlike and like the countries around them. And then they lost their temple to war. And then then they were occupied, they were scattered, and then God brought them back together, and then they were occupied again, and then there's another temple. So here's the second temple. This is in Jesus' time. Also a place where there is celebration and healing and forgiveness and teaching meant for all those things, a place where God would dwell. So that is sort of a brief 30-second look at the temple throughout Scripture. And then there's a twist. Jesus talking when he's teaching, he actually says that he's the temple, Somehow he is. He's this temple. He's a temple that will be destroyed, but a temple that will be reborn. Something about his body being the place, the locus, the place where God dwells, and also the place where God is fully seen and experienced. Suddenly it's not just a building, but it's a person. And now we get to this new thought. Right, because after Jesus, uh, he, he, died, he was crucified, died, he was buried, he was raised to life through the Spirit. He uh, met with his disciples for many days, the men and women who loved him and were trained, uh, who he trained and taught and invited to stay and pray for the Holy Spirit. And when he ascended to heaven and the, the early church kept meeting and the Holy Spirit fell on them, the early church had a sort of epiphany where they realized that suddenly there's a new meaning to the temple. And that's what Peter, oh, that's what Paul talks about right here, 1 Corinthians 3.16. There's a new meaning to the word temple. He says this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? It's a couple of verses down from our passage. He picks up this theme of the building. What kind of building? A temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? See, this is new thought. New thought from the tabernacle to the first temple to the second temple to Jesus' body. And now suddenly, you. Now, you might have heard the phrase, your body is a temple. Have you ever heard that phrase? Just like, Yes. Okay. I've heard it too. Uh, I don't think you even have to grow up in the church to hear this. Like growing up in the sort of fundamentalist dream that I grew up in, uh, when, when I heard your body is a temple, it was used to, to describe why we shouldn't get tattoos or get piercings or things like that because your body's a temple. And I'm also like, aren't temples, don't they have a lot of decoration on them? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't that smart. I read that in a meme one day. <laughs> um, and, then, and then there's also this idea out there um, 
that because our bodies are temples, um, yeah, we, we've just made all sorts of different schools of thought on that. Okay, like there's this, this one meme I saw that I also liked, and here we go, it's a t-shirt. They put it on a t-shirt, because my body is a temple, ancient, crumbling, and probably haunted. <laughs> See, it's made it out of the church into larger society, right? The fundamental stream I, I was in took it very like, you know, individually, and then we've heard it in our society, and then there's this other one I read too. It says, some people say their body is a temple, mine is a bouncy castle. <laughs> Aww. Now, um, when, when Paul was writing this to the church in Corinth, and he's, he's making this development from, you know, Jesus being the temple, and now suddenly that, that Jesus is ascended, suddenly uh, you are the temple. It's really easy for us to misinterpret what Paul says here, because once again, we are not reading this in the original language. In Greek, we are reading this in English. And there are significant differences between Greek and English. There have been lots of translations that, that have gone on, and I think this is one instance where the translators have made sort of like an interpretive move that I would disagree with. <laughs> an interpretive move that is not really echoed in the text. And so Bible commenters will remind us, they will remind us that what the text actually says is a little different. So now, um, let's say in, in English, if I were going to ask, and I'm not really asking this, I'm really fine, but if I were to ask, um, can you get me a glass of water? I'm looking right at Daisy. <laughs> If I say, can you get me a glass of water, Daisy will probably think I'm talking to her and she might go get me a glass of water. I'm really good. I don't need one. But if I were talking to all of you and I said, can you all get me a glass of water? Oh, dang. Like, might be like a little weird. People might sort of shuffle their chairs back and like, does she really want that much water? <laughs> like, she must be really thirsty. Is this part of the sermon? So awkward. Right? Like, if I said, can you all, it would be a different thing. And when Paul is writing the church in Corinth, every single time he uses the word you, he uses the word in Greek that is plural. Because in the Greek language, all nouns have numbers. They're either singular or plural. So they're either talking to one person or many people. And in this text, and all throughout the book of Corinthians, whenever Paul talks about you in regards to temple, it's always plural. So what he would say here, if we were to read it literally, is, do you all not know that you all are God's temple, singular, and that God's spirit dwells in you all, plural. And then later on, when we get into like chapter six and stuff, and he's talking about, do you know that you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. Um, and talking about temple, Holy Spirit. Do you not know you're a temple, Holy Spirit? Once again, there, every single time that's you is you all, you all, you all, you all. You are, you are, um, your body is the temple, Holy Spirit. Body is singular. And it's the same word that can either mean physical body or can mean our, our group our group of like-minded people. So literally here, we've interpreted, we've heard, you know, um, we've heard, do you not know you're God's temple? God's spirit dwells in you. Your body is a temple. And we've interpreted it to mean me. When really what Paul is saying is we. Do you see that shift? It doesn't mean that God's spirit also doesn't dwell in us individually. There's tons of passages throughout scripture, throughout the New Testament, we can see God's spirit comes to dwell in each of us. But there's something different about the way we image God in the world, what kind of building we are. It's not a building that's an individual building, like we're a whole lot of little temples out here, but instead all of us together are God's building a temple all of us together. This past Monday, I was reading the news 
and I started seeing some really heart-rending stories and images um, coming out of Syria and Turkey, as I know many of you have seen through this past week, as they dealt in the aftermath of this just catastrophic earthquake that downed like thousands of buildings and took the lives of so many thousands of people. I think last time I checked it was 28,000, but that number will probably grow. Please be in prayer. If you can give, give. There's a lot of reputable charitable groups out there. Our own denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, we have, um, we have feet on the ground there. And um, I'll put a link in our, in our newsletter to the specific uh, group that we're affiliated with there uh, who, who has some aid and ability to, to get help on the ground. So I'll put that link in our weekly connection. But if you, if you can't, um, if, if you think of them, if you can pray, if you can give, it's cold, a lot of people are without shelter, a lot of their infrastructure is down, and it's just a catastrophic, heart-rending situation. And as I read about the disaster this week, I saw so many just pictures of buildings that have been just pancaked, and I'm not gonna show any violent images or anything, but I'm gonna show some buildings that are, that are flat, so if you need to look away, you can. Um, but I, just, I saw all these, and I sat with the weight of this, and then I started reading about how there is a public outcry right now. Because apparently as people noticed all these sort of down buildings that pancaked, they noticed that they had not been built, especially the new ones, according to building code. Like they could look and see there wasn't enough rebar. And the way it pancaked shows that it wasn't built according to the new more stringent guidelines that they've had since 1999. So there's been this huge public outcry saying, hey, we were supposed to do better than this. We have all these codes, why is nobody following them? And so currently, I think that the, the country of Turkey has detained something like 100 different building contractors uh, for questioning. And some, some, I don't know if it's admission of guilt or just fear, some actually just fled the country immediately after the earthquake, after their relatively new, new buildings, you know, last, last five years or so, just pancaked. So some already fled the country. So, we see all these images of devastation, and we see this public outcry, why didn't we build better? And friends, if we are God's temple, all of us together, the way we temple together, the way we grow together, the way we are formed and build together, it's gonna impact how God is experienced, not just by us, but by the whole world around us the way we as leaders make decisions, the way all of us as a community weather whatever community bumps or drifts we have, whether it's ones like the Corinthian church experienced or our own unique challenges here and now, right? The way we play on the same team is gonna speak volumes, right? It's gonna be clearly seen. The way that we can work through disconnection, the way that we can challenge ourselves to stay in communion with people we disagree with that are very different from ourselves, our ability to stay as a temple, grow as the temple of God together, it's going to impact how people see and experience God. The way we build matters. The reason why Paul was upset in this letter, he gets kind of snarky and sarcastic. He's leaking out a bit. He's upset because the problems the Corinthian church are experiencing are not just problems about community disruption. It's about how people will experience God. It has to do with what kind of building they are meant to build. And friends, if we were to zoom out for a minute and just look at the larger picture of church in our country, 
So not necessarily our own little community, but if we were to zoom out and, and just look at the, the state of the church right now, I would say we have a lot of challenges. And we have problems too in this moment with people not being able to experience God's goodness, God's truth, God's justice, and God's mercy in the church at large. Right, over the decades, some Christian communities have built so poorly, so catastrophically, that now many young people feel that if they want to experience the presence of God, if they want to experience the reality and power of God at work, they have to run from the church. Something's wrong with that picture. And Paul speaks directly, actually, to that, just a few verses down in our chapter for today. He actually has some pretty harsh words for people who destroy God's temple, God's church, the community of believers. And when I read these harsh words from Peter, which weren't part of our, they thankfully weren't part of our text for today, but they're just a couple verses down if you were to read this whole chapter, which I encourage you to do. If you were to read them, you'd see these really harsh words he has um, about people seeking to destroy the church. And friends, when I think about um, people who are running from the church, I see those not as people who are trying to destroy the church, but people who are survivors running, looking for shelter. Instead, those destroying from the church are often from the inside out. Leaders who refuse to be accountable, people who in their own trauma and ego hurt others and harm and tear down, who obscure rather than reveal God's love. We have to build better, not as baby believers, but as mature people who are filled with God's spirit. Building with the Holy Spirit, according to building coats, so we can temple together well. May God have mercy on us. Friends, if we were to zoom in back from the big picture of the church at large and then look again at our community at Wellspring, yes, we have our own community disruptions, disturbances brought on by the pandemic, brought on by distance. We're gonna be getting ready to move. So we have our own challenges, our own hiccups. I'm wondering, are we open to build well together? Are we open to temple together, to lean into growing as a community in how we reveal God's goodness, God's justice, God's salvation, God's mercy? Because we will either be a temple that reveals God to the world or one that obscures God. On this Super Bowl Sunday, um, fans of the sport might notice that in recent years there's been a lot more language around um, the movement of better empowering and representing all the different groups that make up sports teams um, and sports organizations. So there's different slogans that are stenciled in the end zone. And one of them that you might see today um, is the phrase, it takes all of us. It takes all of us. So you might see that today. I'm not sure which one they're gonna choose to be on the, on the end zone. And as I read this, I, I think there's lots of different meanings to this, right? In, in one way, right, it takes more than one person to end prejudice and to rectify inequities, right? It, we also know that it will take all of us, especially as Christians we know, it will take all of us working in our country together to repent for our sins of omission and commission to progress in God's love, justice, and mercy for all. It will take all of us to do that. In literal fashion, when um, someone runs to the end zone, sorry, I don't have the language for this, this is not my specialty or my passion. <laughs> 
why do I even try? Just mention Super Bowl Sunday and forget about it. But I love this. It takes all of us. I love it. It's great. So when someone gets to the end zone, presumably, I mean, if you're on the opposite team, you're there because you like made a point or something. <laughs> you touched down. You touched down. I knew there's a word for it. You touched down. And the thing is, you didn't just touch down by yourself. Even me, who knows very little about any sports at all, I know from sitting and watching my family that it takes a whole team to get you to go there, right? I'm not about to say what they do, but I know they're working hard <laughs> and having fun. I think they're having fun too, or at least they're getting paid. I don't know. Who knows? But it takes all of them to get to that point, right? It's not just one person. It takes all of them, just as it will take all of us to, to, to make a better world with God for each other. And friends, not just in, the, in the, the social field of life, which God cares about and God came to redeem and save too, but even in our own sphere here in the church, friends, it will take all of us. It will take all of us building together on the same team in order for us to be a community of people that temples so well together that the reality of God is seen and experienced in the world. It will take all of us. And I have to say, this is one of the things that really strikes me about God that I'm, I'm, I, I just I can't even understand. Sometimes when we think about God being vulnerable, we think about God showing up as a baby, like becoming human, right? So God is able to, oh, God needs to rely on others to survive. Um, God in human form as Jesus uh, can be hurt. He can be harmed. He can even be killed, which he is. So we think of the vulnerability of God. I often think of the vulnerability of God in the person of Jesus, who is part, you know, one of the, the, the members of the Trinity, who makes up God, our three-in-one God. So I think of Jesus when I think of the vulnerability of God. But in recent years, I've begun to think a lot more about the church. Because if we are the temple of God, the place where God's reality is known, you and I all together in how we are in the world, that seems like the most vulnerable thing of God at all, of all. Like, you think at least Jesus coming, he's God, so, you know, he can be trusted to do really great stuff. But the church, man, We've done wonderful things. We've done awful things. We're the temple. That really feels vulnerable of God. To be like, you know what? I'm going to entrust this to you. Through my Holy Spirit, you have power. You can build well. You can temple together. And I think, God, how could you do that? This still blows my mind. And friends, it will take all of us. It will take each one of us here. It will take each one of us here to be the place, the people, wherever we are where God is seen and experienced. And all of you are here for different reasons, right? Some of you are here because relationally you experienced a home. Maybe you didn't have like a good set of friends who knew you or understood you and you experienced that here. That's wonderful. That means you have that to share. Maybe you're here because just theologically you were really wrestling and you couldn't really find a home and then you found a home here. And you're, you're thinking through your faith and you, you have good nuggets to share and, you have a lot to teach us. Wonderful. We'd love to receive from you. We're glad you're here. It will take all of us. Maybe you're here because you're not even sure why you're here. You're like, well, I show up. You show up. That's something to teach us, something to give us. Maybe you're here for what Jesus has done for you emotionally. You felt like you couldn't find a home anywhere else. And then you came here and you sensed God building you up again and bringing you to better healing. Wonderful. You have that to share. It's going to take all of us. 
all of us together being who we are, leaning on the Holy Spirit, growing from babies to full adults, so that our temple can be a place where God is known. As I was reading really sad news this week coming out of Turkey and Syria, I stumbled upon this, um, this news on Reddit, and I thought, oh, it's, is it the onion? Like, is it fake news? You know, or is it a, no one would make a joke about this. And then um, I clicked on it, and sure enough, it was a news story, and then I read around a little bit more, and uh, it's become sort of a story, an emblem of hope right now for those who are still digging, those still doing the work of rescue. And um, it was in this one city, um, and I wrote down the name, but I probably won't pronounce it right. But uh, they were doing the work of digging. It was about 55 hours after the quake. And they were in an apartment area. And they heard yelling coming from an apartment that was covered. So they started digging through the rubble in this particular area. And they were able to free out a little boy who's 13 years old. He's alive. And as they pulled him out, and he's doing okay. He's recovering in the hospital. I have a picture of him um, all covered up by, by, by blankets. So he's, he's okay. He's just covered up by mylar blankets there. And they noticed as they were pulling him out that he was carrying something in his hand. He was holding something in his hand. It was a bird, his pet bird, a budgie. This is it. This is his aunt holding it. His aunt is like crying, thanking God, so happy her nephew is alive. Um, and this little bird, there might be a little zoom in, it, zoom in and on it. This little bird, this little boy survived 55 hours in the rubble. And this story is giving so many people hope. But even when things weren't built well, even when cat catastrophes came and the worst possible thing happened, that there could be hope, there could be survival for the big and the small. I can't help seeing this as somehow symbolic as this little boy and his bird survived. Friends, it took all of them to dig through the rubble. It took all of them to find this little boy. And they did. He's alive. And so is his bird. And friends, it took all of God, in whom Jesus gave his very life, the temple of his body destroyed. It took all of God to show us the depths of God's love and rescue for us, for our freeing, for our deliverance, for our healing. So God could raise up a temple, not of a single human person, not even of Jesus' body now, literal body, which is ascended and with the Father, but raise up a temple of many people, one body, through them in the world, God may be known. As Paul writes, just a couple verses later in our text for the day, we are all the temple of the living God, for God has said, I will dwell with them. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of community, community moving together in like-heartedness, those who are working hard at clearing rubble even now, God, we ask your empowerment. We ask that supplies would be there and we pray for more miraculous stories as well as your comfort and your presence in a, in a situation that's absolutely unimaginable. Lord, I thank you for the Corinthian church, for their own testimony and the, just their story. Things were hard. They were able to somehow move through it together. And for the healing balm of your good news, that we don't have to be on different sides or different teams. We are in your field. 
and that somehow we're building something sacred, something wonderful, something together that will take all of us. So Holy Spirit, empower us for this work. We can't do this on our own. On our own, it'll be a mere human work. I pray you come fill us, that you move us, that you dwell in us in ever more full, complete, and clear ways. In Jesus' name, amen.